be with you guys. My name is Trey Corey. I'm the college pastor here at Grace, typically over at Southwood on Sunday mornings. And so Jacob and I are flip-flopping sites this morning. And so it is a joy to be with you guys this morning. We're going to be in the book of Colossians this morning. So if you have a Bible, open to the book of Colossians. We'll be in chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, they're interspersed kind of throughout uh, the chairs and the rows. And so just kind of look underneath you. You're welcome to use that Bible uh, this morning. Uh, Also, if, if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take that home with you guys. Our gift to you guys this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 22, Paul writes and lets us know, he says, Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you amazingly for your written word. Thank you that you have spoken, that you have spoken uh, and and shed light into darkness, that you have provided information and clarity in the midst of uncertainty. And Father, as we talk about a topic this morning that we don't often talk about, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you would direct us. Father, pray that my words would be yours and that you would do in this time whatever it is that you see fit. Father, pray that you'd provide us implications of our future, but not just of our future, but even of our present. Pray that you would shape us and mold us and that you would direct us just as you desire this morning. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. All right, well, this morning as we look into Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at the topic of career and calling. Uh, As we can continue our series entitled Culture Matters, I hope you guys have been enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun to be teaching through and walking through, but we're going to talk about the topic of career and calling this morning. Uh, I'll tell you guys, I think this topic has been by and large one that the church is silent on in many ways. Uh, but I want to talk a little about what is God and how has God designed uh, career and job and vocation as we look at life even after college. In fact, I think for a lot of you guys, if you're a junior or a senior, you're already being asked the question, what are you going to do when you graduate, right? And if you hear that what question one more time, you're going to just throw up in your mouth. You want to go crazy, all right? Uh, but many of you guys are being asked that already. Some of you guys actually the last few weeks have already been frequenting and spent a lot of time at career fair, all right? And I'll tell you guys, my personal bit, my personal sense of what career fair is, is that everything that is awful, awkward, and horrible about dating is true with career fair, all right? Uh, You will identify an individual for you guys, a girl that you want to talk to and you want to ask out for you guys, or girls who've been at career fair, a company that you want to talk to, and we do the same thing, right? We identify someone and then we wait for the perfect moment at which to approach that individual, all right? So for us guys, we circle, all right? orbit, uh, don't stalk, right? But we circle and we wait for the opportune time to approach that girl to ask her out, right? We want to wait till her friends are not all around because if we're going to crash and burn, we don't want to crash and burn in front of a giant audience, right? So we wait for that perfect moment and then we go in and then we think of a few critical key sentences that kind of get us in the gate, get us going, right? Same thing we do at career fair, right? We circle the booth, we circle the table till people have kind of cleared out. Then we come in with that first impression, those first sentences we want to say to kind of get their attention. Our hope is If in dating we're going to get a date or with career fair that we're going to get an interview, right? Eventually hoping that where this ultimately heads to is a DTR of sorts, right? Either boyfriend, girlfriend in dating, or in this case with career fair, employee and employer, right? We've arrived, all right? Some of you guys, though, have hated career fair, right? Which is why you're considering grad school, right? (laughs) Let me just stick in school, right? 
Some of you guys kind of put a spiritual lens on it. You're like, maybe missions is, maybe God is calling me, right? Because this whole real world thing just sounds awful, all right? And so for some of us, it's career fair. If you're a junior and senior, that's kind of scared you maybe, right? You're kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to get into. Maybe I'll even do the school thing a little longer, right? Uh, but for some of you guys, freshmen, sophomores, maybe career fair and kind of what you want to do down the road really isn't anywhere on your map, all right? Uh, but maybe for you, as you think about the real world, do you think back to your first job and what a horrific experience that was, all right? My first real job was as a uh, cashier at a men's shoe store, all right? I would have thought no job could have been more ideal, all right? I get to handle money. Yes, I like that, all right? I get to be in an all-guys shoe store where there's sports on TV constantly, right? And where the customer comes in knowing what they want, asking for one thing, trying it on, and walking out in 10 minutes, right? As opposed to a women's shoe store where they ask for everything that someone has in nine and a size red, three hours go by, and I don't know what's going to happen, right? Uh, but for me, I was like, this is a perfect job, right? But what I didn't realize is a couple of things that was going to transpire. One is uh, I, I was incredibly uh, insecure and shy, all right? And so the problem is, as a cashier, I had a couple duties. One was I had to make any public service announcements on the PA system, all right? And so I'd come on this thing, though, incredibly shy, incredibly insecure, all right? And I'd be like, Hello, uh, excuse me, uh, um, we'll be closing in 30 minutes. If you could hurry along, please, all right? Or I come on with like a phone call, right? Uh, James, James, um, you have a phone call, line four, all right? It was incredibly not what you need on a PA system, all right? In fact, the salesman would begin to call me Michael Jackson, all right? Which, again, not what you want, right? <laughs> not what I was going for, all right? My first job, this is not working out, all right? And to make matters worse, all right, these salesmen would have a mother with a, like three kids who were buying tennis shoes to start the fallout, all right? And they would come to the cash register where I was supposed to cash them out, take their uh, form of payment, and kind of move them along, all right? But the salesman would do something I never saw coming, all right? And even the first three, four times it happened, I was still shocked, right? They would come up to the cash register. They'd introduce me to their customer as Skillet, all right? Even worse than Michael Jackson, right? And then they would begin to explain to the customer that I was on a work release program from juvenile prison. Juvenile prison, people, all right? And, and they believed that at this shoe store, they believed in giving trouble to use a second chance, all right? And now these moms would end up taking their little kids, right, who are coming for shoes, all right, and begin to kind of huddle them under their, her wings like a, like a mother chick huddling her hens, all right? Completely terrified of me, all right? And then I had to proceed to ask for their credit card information, their home mailing address, all right? This was not going well, all right? I remember stepping back going, man, this is, nothing is going well in this job, all right? I, I actually begin to wrestle with a series of questions. I, I begin to think, am I actually in the right job at all, right? This seemed great on the outset, but as I kind of got into it, I was like, maybe I'm in the wrong job entirely, right? I began to also ask, how long can I stay here, right? If I'm here in five years, I'm going to just go crazy, right? This is just awful, all right? I began to think, really, am I in the right fit? What's the right job for me? Uh, where would I be five years from now? And then I began to think, too, even more, like, how do I deal with coworkers? How do I deal with bosses? And then lastly, I began to think, even on a spiritual level, how in the world do I honor the Lord in the workplace, right? I was a cashier helping sell men's shoes, right? How in the world does that at all fit with the kingdom of God and what God wants to do as he advances and establishes a kingdom on earth through human representation, moving a kingdom of all people and all nations for eternity? How does my little wee job as a cashier at a men's shoe store in Dallas, Texas, at all as a high school kid, matter with what God is doing ultimately for all of eternity? I couldn't square those concepts, all right? Those are the questions that were kind of hitting me in my first job. And I'd submit to you guys, I think you guys, especially if you hit career fairs, if you've had jobs, I think you're beginning to wrestle with that as well. <laughs> What's the right job going to be for you one day? What job is going to fit you? What do you see yourselves doing in five years? Maybe you're a freshman, you're going to still be here in five years. You're going to take a little victory lap, right? No rush to get out of here, right? Uh, but as you're beginning to look at life after college, what's going to be the right job for you? 
And it's not just as you look down the future in terms of what God's going to do in a job and in a vocation one day. But I'm going to kind of argue and submit to you guys this morning as we look at this passage and we jump into this topic that much of what you begin to think and how you begin to handle and view school right now is setting a principle and a pattern for how you're going to view a job one day. Much of how you are operating and viewing school today is shaping and informing and going to be an incredible parallel for how you will view and handle a job one day. Some of you guys already have jobs. Some of you guys are looking for the day that you'll graduate. You'll actually make some money and have some money and not be dirt poor, right? But when that day comes, uh, what's the right job? How are you going to handle it? And specifically, what in the world does that job have to do? If you're an engineer, a lawyer in medicine, whatever it's going to be, a teacher, whatever it's going to be, how in the world does that job, where you may feel like you're in a really, really small place, at all matter with what God is going to do for all eternity as he establishes a kingdom. How does God's eternal purposes and a job and a vocation that you're going to take step into one day, how do those things square? That's where we're going to go this morning as we look at Colossians chapter 3. And the first thing I want to highlight for you guys as we jump into this idea is that, uh, and this is maybe novel for some of you guys, all right? But I want to submit and argue to you guys that ultimately work is not a curse, all right? And when we think of work, we often think of, hey, you're going to graduate one day. You're going to escape the prison that is school but some of us view it as a, another prison that's coming known as a job that will take you eight to five, all right? Uh, and maybe even more, right? And so a lot of us, I think, are dreading the future in the real world because we see a job and a career as another kind of prison and frankly a curse. And, and for some of us, we may even be theologically minded to say that really, if it weren't for the sin and the, for the fall of man in the garden, we wouldn't have to work, all right? Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if you guys have been with us at all the last few weeks as we've been walking through the series on culture, we saw in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 that God was at work. You guys remember, kind of going back a few weeks, we said that God was creating and that he was cultivating, right? He created out of nothing. Uh, and then after he would create out of nothing, he would come behind that and he would cultivate it, he would shape it, he would organize it. It took incredible effort and incredible work. In fact, even if you were in the main service this morning, Brian was talking about work and even rest, Right? God was working in the garden, and even he would rest in the garden, right? He would work seven days or six days, and then he'd take a rest on the seventh, right? That even what we look at and what we see in the garden is that God was one who worked, and then he would hand off the task of work to humanity himself, right? He would create Adam and Eve in his image, and then he would call, call and commission and charge them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And as they did that, they were to rule and have dominion over all that he created, so God creates and he puts at the pinnacle of his creation humanity that it was created in his image and he calls and he commissions them to go out, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And as you do that, continue the creative and the cultivating work that I did that you saw me model in the garden. This idea of work is something we see God doing in the garden, something we see God hand to man in the garden. All right, And then we're going to get to the fall. We're going to get to see what happens. But ultimately it was something that was good. God looked at what the work that he had done. He looked at what Adam and Eve would eventually do and he declared that was good. In fact, it was good enough that even Jesus would become a carpenter, all right? Paul would become a tent maker. There's nothing wrong with vocation, career, and calling. You do not have to become a pastor. You do not have to become a missionary to honor God in your vocation and in your job, eight to five, whatever it is you're going to do when you get out of here. And I argue the same thing in school. <laughs> You can be a student here at Blinn or at Texas A&M University and the way that you approach your school and your studies can honor, the God, honor God immensely. All right, Huge concept. In fact, as we've been walking through the series, we said uh, a definition of culture that we've been trying to establish for you guys that culture is what human beings make of the world. All right, uh, Make of the world, literally what they produce, what they manufacture, how they take the natural created elements and what they produce and make out of that, but also what they make of the world in terms of meaning and significance. So what culture is doing is a task of work, but also a task of meaning-making, right? 
That's what culture is. The task of culture we first saw in the garden, and it was good, and it involved work. So work is not a curse. Work is not bad, all right? But of course, sin will impact the creation, sin will impact humanity, and sin will impact the task of culture and work itself. Genesis 3, when we get to the curse section, uh, uh, we find, cursed is, the, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and by the sweat of your face you will eat bread. So you return to the ground. Notice that Adam and Eve were called to work, and what God is telling Adam and Eve in that moment is the task that they've been called to do is now going to be incredibly difficult. The way that sin impacted their relationship is that it led to separation between them and God and them and one another and even them and the creation. And because of that separation, because of sin, now the task of work that was inherently good is now inherently difficult. Adam and Eve are going to have to sweat. It's going to be incredible toil. It will not come easy. But that doesn't mean that work is a curse. Work falls under a curse, but work is still good. Great things become cursed, but it does not mean they're not great anymore, all right? Uh, some of you guys may not know this, but my actual legal name is Huey, all right? Confessions here with your pastor, all right? My, my actual legal name is Huey, all right? And so first day of elementary school, amazingly brutal, all right? Uh, I would sometimes try to get to the teacher ahead of time before she would hit roll call, all right? But then she would hit roll call and she'd go, Huey, Corey, I'd have to identify myself. And for the next hour, few weeks of school, I was the laughing stock of elementary school, all right? Everyone had the Huey, Dewey, Louie jokes, right? I mean, just Huey galore craziness and cursing upon my life, all right? Now, did I want to leave elementary school and not come back? Heck yes, right? <laughs> did I learn in second grade to get to the teacher as early as I could to prevent this issue? yes. For me, elementary school came under a curse that I could not get away from, all right? Everyone knew me as Huey. Now you guys know me as Huey, and it's all over for me, all right? But here's the deal. Did I want to run for my name? Absolutely. Did we name our future son Huey? Absolutely not, right? (laughs) Our son is not named Huey. The family name of Huey ended with us, all right? It's over, all right? That curse goes on no more to any future generations of Corey Males, all right? It's over. It's done, all right? But for me, my experience in elementary school came under a curse, but I did not have the option to leave, nor should I have left. In fact, we had uh, some friends who were uh, married and they had a pet name for one another. Crazy, all right? Their pet name for one another and they each called themselves this was Bunny. So they'd be on a date, they'd be in these adorable moments where they're cuddling and they'd say, oh, Bunny, I love you. Oh, Bunny, I love you. You're so sweet. You mean so much to me, all right? But they'd even say Bunny when they're angry. Bunny, why are you so late? All right, I mean, just everything was Bunny. It didn't matter the situation. Every time they called each other Bunny, all right? And so for every single one of us that was in their life, It was a curse on our existence, all right? It was absolutely awful, all right, to have to listen to that over and over again. I remember driving with this couple to a Dallas Mavericks game, and they're arguing about directions and going, bunny, I mean, at each other. It was crazy. It was insane. And it was a curse to every single one of us around them, all right? Did it mean that we should have pulled away from them and not been their friends? Yes. No, 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 right? Friendship is loyalty, right? We shouldn't have pulled away. We didn't, all right? We loved them despite it, all right? But it was a difficulty in being around them, right? Work itself comes under a curse. It comes under a difficulty, but it does not mean that we're to pull away from it, we're to not pursue it, or to think that it is now inherently bad. Work falls under a curse, but ultimately work is a commission. Uh, I ran across a video even this week, a commercial actually. Uh, Craftsman who makes tools had a commercial that I was like, man, they just nailed everything that we've been talking about this semester. And they're going to recognize that there's something inherent in each one of us that is designed to create. They're going to also recognize that something has gone awry in that process. And so notice what the commercial says and notice how it hits a lot of the themes that we've been talking about all semester. We once made things. Incredible things. 
something some would say inspired became more than what they started as and became bigger than all of us. And then somewhere along the way, some of us forgot. Making turned to buying. Crafting into assembling. And what was once a way of life became a forgotten hobby. But our fire to create is not lost, nor can it ever be extinguished. Our passion to make is part of us and needs only be fueled again. For we were born to make, mold, build, shape, transform incredible things. Coursing through our veins, the urge to make something from nothing and build a legacy for us all. Surrounding you lies earth, wire, wood, glass, steel, brick, and stone. Just waiting to be made great. Go ahead and make something of it. And inspire the rest of us. We all are, and always will be, made to make. All right, I watched that commercial several times this week, and I thought, man, I just want to go build something right now, right? Some of you guys are like, craftsmen, yeah, let's just grunt and build something today, all right? So this afternoon, we're doing a work project. Just kidding, all right? So, uh, but watching that commercial, man, I, I think they hit it exactly, right? Craftsman recognizes, hey, there's something inherent in us to create, to build, to make, to take the natural elements and to make something. And they recognize that even in that process, something has gone awry. And, and ultimately, I think Craftsman recognizes that what work is, it's not a curse, but it is a commission. Work is not a curse, but it is a commission, an opportunity, a divine opportunity. I'm going to argue to you guys this morning that what career is, is career is a divine commission to a human vocation. The career is a divine commission to a human vocation. We said last week as we looked at the arts, that the arts were a divine commission toward human creativity, all right? And very much what a career is, is, a, is an outworking of that, all right? We think of, the artist, we think of artists and musicians as those that have been commissioned in a unique way. But when we think of engineers, uh, doctors, lawyers, we don't think sometimes in the same, necessar- the same kind of way. But to whatever way that you've been gifted, whatever way that you're being trained, whatever way that you're passionate about, it's a divine commission toward a human vocation. And it therefore is divinely inherently good. It's good. All right. In fact, uh, as we look at uh, uh, scriptures, I'm going to show you guys one passage. Because what we're going to see, I want to argue to you guys, is that career is a, an opportunity to, be, to make a contribution to the community. What your career will be one day, whether you're in a job now or whether you will be in a job when you graduate, Lord willing, right? Is that you will have an opportunity to make a kind of practical contribution to the community at large. And because of that, what a career really is, is a loving service. Because a career is a contribution to the community is therefore a loving service, which is why Paul, speaking of career and work, will say to the church in Thessalonica in chapter uh, 4 in 1 Thessalonians, he says this, he's calling the church to love one another, to love the world at large. And then he continues that command of love and he says, we urge you to excel still more in love, excel further in love. How to do that? And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we have commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Paul looks at the church of Thessalonica and he talks about the loving relationship they are to have with the society at large and it's paired perfectly with their call and their vocation and their career to work. 
that what a career is, what, what a, a move into an industry and a job is all about is making a contribution to the community in absolutely loving service. And we so often miss that. Some of you guys might have run across the story uh, about a week or so ago of a 19-year-old uh, manager of a Minnesota Dairy Queen. His name was Joey, all right? Uh, and the story went viral, not this, this week, but the week before, in which a customer walked in who was visually impaired, all right? So he walks in and he's asking for a blizzard or something, I'm sure, all right? Which, by the way, are just God's gift to us, all right? They defy all gravity, right? You should get one of those this afternoon, all right? So, anybody hungry already? So, uh, and so, but a customer works in who's, walks in who's visually impaired, and it's crazy because as he's looking to pay, a $20 bill pops out and falls on the ground. Customer behind this visually impaired customer leans down, grabs a $20 bill, puts it in their pocket. The manager for Dairy Queen sees the interaction, sees the whole thing unfold, and tells that customer he's got two options. Either A, uh, she can return the $20 bill to the visually impaired customer, or B, she can walk out and not be served here at Dairy Queen. Uh, That customer will choose to take the $20 bill from a visually impaired customer and will walk out. And the fascinating thing of what this manager does is that he takes a $20 bill from his own pocket, all right? Uh, From his own pocket, hands it to the visually impaired customer and says, on behalf of Dairy Queen, we want to serve you the best way that we can. Amazing story, right? An amazing story of, of one who realized that his role, even as a manager for Dairy Queen, was not just to push the bottom profit line number, right? Even if it came at a cost to himself. But his role, his charge, what he was called to do was contribute to the community in a loving service. We so often miss that. Uh, this week, uh, uh, coming up, this upcoming Sunday, my little girl is going to turn four, all right? And so we had a party for her a little bit earlier, a couple weeks ago, as family was in for one of the home games, all right? And my wife's parents, God bless them, gave to her uh, this four-story, like, dollhouse, all right? Uh, and so for the last three nights, I've been putting it together, all right? So this is my little four-year-old girl. Her name's Caroline, all right? And as you can notice, maybe, uh, maybe this is a little kind of corner shot of it, but there's a little princess, all right, in the top right, right? She's got, like, all the Disney princesses, all right? The little Disney princess carriage is in the garage, all right? And now, that smile on her face, I'll tell you, I would have paid, I don't care how many hundreds of dollars, right? To see what this crazy little four-story nutty dollhouse with an elevator, hello people, all right? The kind of smile it has put on her face, all right? Even this morning, I was in her room just having my breakfast at a bowl of cereal, listening to her talk to her princess dolls and watching her play on this thing. The sense of delight, the sense of joy has just been awesome. I'm incredibly thankful actually to the company who made this thing, all right? Did they want my money? Yes, Would I have paid my money if it wasn't a gift? Probably, right? Just to see that smile on her face. Let me take it a different direction for you guys. A lot of you guys, uh, show of hands, how many of y'all have iPhones? All right. Uh, Every single one of you guys, (laughs) like almost every one of y'all has one, all right? Uh, Y'all all all paid either $100 to $300 for your iPhone, all right? Some of you guys might have even just gotten the new ones with like the fingerprint thing. Holy moly, that's amazing, right? now, my question for you guys is, obviously, you guys thought, I'd rather have an iPhone than the 100 or $300 that you paid for it, right? Slam dunk decision with no hesitation, right? This may seem like a stretch to you, but I think you would argue that Apple has had a contribution to the community and to your life that was incredibly loving service, right? Thank you, Apple, right? Some of you guys are like Apple fanatics, right? If you had a PC in your home, you'd think it was like the Antichrist, right? You're like, ah, no, right? Uh, you're like Mac fanatics, all right? Uh, Mac, um, Apple's kind of like a virus. It kind of works its way in with the small stuff, right? And then it kind of gets to the, the, the desktops and the big stuff, right? We're midway through that transition in our home, right? We have the phones, we have the iPad, the, the iPod, but we haven't gone to the Mac laptop, but we're headed there, all right? So, uh, but here's the deal. Apple... Dollhouses, uh, Dairy Queen, all right? 
At some level, they are all a contribution to our community that really is meant to be not driven out of greed alone, but is meant to be a loving service, actually. In fact, Paul will highlight that as he's speaking to slaves in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is what he says to slaves, or I'd argue maybe even employees, all right? He says, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, render service. That as slaves are to honor their masters, or as employees are to honor their employers, that ultimately what that is is a loving service that we are to, to submit to. It is meant to be motivated out of love, not out of greed. And when you and I begin to grasp the motivation, it changes everything. Uh, how many of you guys have showed up to an, uh, a grocery store and you uh, showed up to someone who was supposed to check your groceries or bag them and it was as if they had, you had just insulted their mother, right? <laughs> they just hate their life. They hate their job. They hate that you're in front of them, right? And you're like, dude, just bag my groceries, right? <laughs> it's your job. Come on, right? Or you show up uh, at a fast food restaurant to the person who takes your order as you go drive through. And I think because they have the headset, they got to have all power. Life has got to be good, right? But they seem like they're hating their job. They're hating life, right? I think by and large, a lot of us will land ourselves in jobs and we don't realize the great inherent glory and value that goes with a job. It is not a curse. It is an incredible commission and opportunity to honor God and to impact even eternity. How do we do that? We're going to keep getting there here in a minute. But, but when you begin to realize that a job is intended to be motivated out of love, it changes the entire manner that we handle it. In fact, Paul will say back in Colossians chapter 3 that not just that it is a loving service, but we're to do it with all that we have. Notice what he says, verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Do your work heartily. Literally, the Greek there is exuke, which literally means from the soul. Whatever you do, do your work literally from and out of your soul. Paul's point is in whatever task, whatever calling, whatever vocation you're a part of, whether you're a student, whether you're an engineer one day, a lawyer, doctor, teacher, stay-at-home mom, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, whatever your job is, do it with all that you have, all that you have. I think over and over again, we create this kind of dichotomy between the work that is sacred and work that is secular. Work that is sacred, we have no problem throwing the entirety of ourselves into it. Work that is secular, we begin to wonder, maybe I should put as little as I can into it, right? In fact, I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says that it is not what man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. The motive is everything. You can sweep streets for the glory of God and impact eternity. You can engineer and do computer things. Uh, You can be a doctor. You can be whatever field that you're going to step in. And if you do it for the right motivation, you can do it for the glory of God. There's no divide between sacred and secular in terms of the task itself. What divides sacred from secular, if there is that kind of divide, is the motivation with which we approach it. And ultimately, Paul is going to say in Colossians 3, do your work heartily as for the Lord. And so my question for you guys this morning is, how's school going? <laughs> All right? Some of you guys just had your first test. Hopefully you survived like the flood you survived this weekend here in College Station and Bryan, right? And maybe some of you guys are feel, still feeling the, the effects of the flood of those finals and those tests, right, in the last few weeks question I want to ask you guys is as you're approaching school right now, because school become a parallel, it becomes a setup for how you're going to view and handle a job one day, whether you're in a job now or not, but at least with school, are you approaching it with all that you have? Or does it just get a little bit? Or do you think that really ministry or something else outside of that call, which is really why your primary reason for being here is something more important? Do you think God or school is irrelevant to God? Do you think your studies are irrelevant to God? You think God doesn't want to intervene and help and guide you and teach you through that process. I think God is as concerned with your school experience as he is with your Bible reading. And that's a paradigm I think can blow us away sometimes, right? We talked about the arts last week. We said the Christian who is in the arts, many will say you've got to do explicitly religious Christian art. And that's a dichotomy that's false. 
Same thing, I think, with work and career. We think that if the job itself is explicitly religious, then do it with all that you have. But if the job is worldly or secular, eh, then just do what you got to do to get by, right? No. One of the reasons we started this semester with Daniel chapter 1 is I think that was an incredible example of one who stepped into a university academic setting, gave it all that he had, blew away everyone else that was around him, and because of his excellence and diligence in an academic setting, would have an opportunity by job and by role and office to reign over a kingdom and save those who needed saving. Because of his excellence and his diligence in in an academic setting, Daniel would have an opportunity to bring justice and righteousness to a kingdom at large because he was faithful in that training ground that was school. Academics are a training ground for you when no one's watching, no one cares, and you don't seem that important. (laughs) It's a training ground when you have no money. (laughs) Amen, right? But what happens when you do have a job? What happens when you begin to be noticed? What happens when you have some money? See, God is using this experience of academics to shape you, to mold you, to build diligence in all things. And it is very much a how he's shaping you. It's very much a how he's guiding you. It's very relevant to God's purposes in your life right now. And so often we just say, you know what? God doesn't really care. This is really kind of worldly. Uh-uh. Why is it sometimes that those that love the Lord the most are those that are the laziest in group projects and classes? It drives me crazy, right? As you step into classes, as you step into group projects, as you deal with professors, my hope for you guys is that you're representing Jesus Christ incredibly well by the way that you study, the way that you handle school, the way that you handle group projects. It's a huge impact of what's going on because what a job is meant to be is a way to contribute to the community. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, who was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, would say this, The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter should be telling him this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. (laughs) So simple, right? If you're a carpenter, make the best tables you can make. I want to challenge you guys in the midst of school with whatever degree you have, whatever major you're a part of, are you pursuing that to the best of your abilities? Are you giving it your all? And if you are giving it your all, are you doing it for all the wrong reasons? Is it about you? Is it about your glory, your fame, your opportunity, or is it an entrustment to honor God and whatever he may do with you and your future? Sometimes we can put all we want into school for all the wrong reasons because we're terrified of a future that's not secure that we want to control. I want to challenge you to put all that you have into school and do it for all the right reasons to honor God in that place. The second element I think it makes a huge impact with a job, why it's a commission, is that I think submission to authority is a huge part of what's still going on. Notice back in Colossians chapter 2, uh, Paul will say, verse 22, uh, chapter 3, verse 22, Paul says, Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. For you guys in school and for you guys one day in a job, you will have an earthly authority who's over you, who God has placed in that spot. Your professors, as much as they may seem to you like unjust, they can't speak English, they talk in ways that you can't understand, and they're making you fail. (laughs) That's fun, right? Uh, God has put them in that spot in your life to shape you and to train you, to, to help you begin to learn how can you honor an authority even when they seem incompetent, even when they seem unfair, and when they're difficult. It's easy to learn submission to authority with, a, with a, a boss or an authority figure who loves you, who honors you, who makes it really easy on you. But when you have a professor, you have an authority who is incredibly difficult, who's maybe incompetent, who's unfair, who's mean. <laughs> That's when you and I begin to learn how do we honor an authority that God's put in our life, realizing that ultimately that human authority is not the, the ultimate authority that we're to honor. That ultimately God is the one who's behind them. 
And so Paul says to those slaves or employees who are in a working situation, it's God whom they are to serve. Don't honor human authority as if uh, uh, pleasing them, as if trying to get them off your back, but honor a, a divine authority who's behind that one, all right? I think it's a huge concept for you and I to realize that even your professors now, God has intended over them, they've put them there, and you're to honor them in such a way that it shows that you're honoring God himself. Would you handle those authorities different? If so, there's a problem. Submission to authority is a huge element of how we respond. Uh, I love a story that's told uh, of Alexander the Great when he was uh, conquering back in the day. Uh, a story was told that uh, one of his soldiers had come to him. Uh, the story got out that he was drunk, that he was disheveled, that he looked wretched. Alexander the Great came to him and asked him, Sir, he said, what's your name? And the soldier replied back, Alexander, sir, sharing the same name as his commander. And uh, Alexander the Great said, well, then you have either two choices. You can either change your name or you can change your conduct. Because that soldier was to recognize that the way that he submitted to the authority that was above him reflected on that authority and reflected even beyond that. And I, I want to argue to you guys, as you look at school, as you look at job one day, that ultimately the way that you navigate in those things also even reflects on the gospel itself. That what uh, work is, is a commission that can be a, that kind of thing that leads to a decoration of the gospel. Notice what uh, Paul said to Titus in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. I was at Lowe's yesterday picking up a few things, and I noticed uh, not just Halloween decorations, all right, the Christmas decorations were out already. I was like, holy snikes, it's not even October 1st, right? This is insane, right? My mom was at a store in Houston. They already had Christmas trees out, not, like, not just in the boxes where you could grab them, but like actually displayed and out taking up space. I was like, it's just crazy, all right? But it made me think even this week in terms of Christmas, I always love the movie Christmas Vacation. Chevy Chase, who puts lights galore on his house, shuts down the electricity of a whole city as he finally turns it on, right? And I think ultimately what Paul is saying is the same kind of thing. That the way that you and I navigate in school and the way that you and I will one day navigate in a job has the opportunity to do the same kind of thing in terms of what Christmas lights did Chevy Chase's house. That the way that you navigate in those arenas can light up the gospel in a way for everyone to see it. The way that you handle school, the way that you will handle a job one day is decoration for the gospel that lights it up and draws attention to it. So my question again for you guys this morning as you look at how you're handling school, maybe even a job that you're in one day, right now maybe, are you taking the gospel and by your conduct and putting a blanket over it? Are you putting graffiti on it? Are you handling school and a job right now in such a way that is highlighting the very beauty of the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done? Uh, one of the, the moments that will always mark me as I think about being a, an authority over others right now is that I, when I was a cashier at the shoe store, had a uh, manager who literally would come to work every day in $700 pairs of alligator shoes, all right, which you may think that's really materialistic, but in a shoe industry, you kind of want to market what you sell, right? So he was wearing these shoes that were literally $700, all right? But every evening, he would, uh, as we would close the store down, he would hike up his shorts and he would, or his pants, and he would actually keep his shoes on, and he would clean and scrub the bathroom floor, all right? Toilets and floors after uh, hundreds of people that have come through in a day of business. And he was doing a job that should have been mine, all right? And as a cashier, I was supposed to shut down the store uh, with the register, but also with the restrooms. And so here was a guy, a manager for me, wearing $700 pair of alligator shoes, all right, who was stooping low enough, bending on his knees even, to clean bathroom floors and toilets that should have been mine. And as an authority in an industry over me, I thought, what an amazing picture of the gospel. Here's an authority who is stooped low, who's taken a menial job that should have been mine to serve me and love me, 
And is there a better picture for what the gospel is? I don't think so. God himself in the form of God, Jesus Christ would come and take on human flesh and he would stoop low. Low enough leaving the glories of heaven, taking on human flesh, but he'd stoop even lower than that by living a perfect life and then dying on a cross, taking a punishment that should have been mine. Not just a menial duty, but a punishment that should have been mine. A death that should have been mine so that I could live. That's the beauty of the gospel that Jesus Christ would take a death that should have been ours so that we could get something we cannot earn and something we don't deserve. On the basis of what God has done for us, we can have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins as an absolutely free gift. And I couldn't have had a better reenactment of that by a manager in any realm that I could have seen than what he did. He said, hey, let me serve you in loving service. Let me show you what it looks like to bend low and to serve in humility, which is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. I'm not just taking a responsibility, but taking a punishment and a death that should have been ours so that we could live. Not just get out of a menial duty, right? It's the beauty of what a manager could do for me in a workplace setting. And my question is, in the midst of school and in a workplace setting that you're in now, that you will be in in the future, how are you living out your faith? Over and over again, I heard as a a person going through college ministry, even here at Grace, one of the things I heard over and over again is that a job leads to two kinds of benefits. One, it leads to money that you can give to the church. Second of all, it leads and puts you around people who may not know the Lord and you can live out your faith in front of them. The problem with that, though, is it really misses inherently what's amazing about work. (laughs) Is that you and I have been designed in such a way for some of us to live out that design, that sense of passion, abilities, and a career to the glory of God, aside from money and aside of those that are around us. The job itself is very much sometimes how God has designed us. So I want to end here kind of thinking about not just work as a commission, but work's compensation. Because when we think about what work does, the first thing that we're looking for, sometimes the first thing that we want is show me the money, right? But I think that's often the the worst starting spot. I think the best place to begin is to think about a job and the right job for you is to think about personal satisfaction. How are you wired? How are you designed? What are your strengths? What are your abilities? What are your capacities? What is it you rejoice in? What is it you're passionate about? Because there you begin to find a sense of how God has designed you, how he's called you, and how he wants you to honor him in a vocation because it doesn't have to be missions and ministry, though we as a church talk a lot about those things, right? You can honor God maybe even way more significantly as a doctor than you could as a pastor. In fact, that may be way more how you're designed and how you're called to live and to walk out into a job. I love a quote that Frederick Buchner says. He says this, that to believe that a wise and good God is in charge of things implies that there is a fit between things that need doing and the person I am meant to be. As you guys look at a world, as you guys look out at industries and jobs and businesses, there may be some businesses, there may be some industries that your heart goes, yes, I want to be a part of that. And as you step in that and as you live out that design and that sense of satisfaction, you are honoring God in the very design, the very way he's wired you and made you. You've been made to make. And that looks very different for every single one of us. There's a fit with what needs doing and with who you are. So one of the best things you guys can do as you walk through college, if you're a freshman or sophomore right now, is find internships, find experiences that give you a, a, a great diversity of experiences that are highlighting for you what you enjoy, what you're good at. What do you enjoy? Do you know those things? Do you know what your strengths are? Do you know what your weaknesses are? Do you know what you're passionate about, what makes you tick? Uh, I grew up every single night going to sleep to Star Trek, all right? I love space, all right? I love Star Trek, all right? Which is why I did computer engineering, all right? It fit with what I wanted to do. 
as I walked through college, God kind of redirected that for me. But early on, I was thinking, hey, this is really what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. And God would kind of detour that and reroute that, all right? But it wasn't because I thought that ministry was more significant or more impacting. It's just that's kind of how I thought God was leading me and redirecting me, all right? Some of you guys, you guys love space. You guys love planes. You guys love cars. You may love uh, teaching little kids, right? It doesn't matter. You guys are all wired for different kinds of things. And I want to challenge you as you walk through college, pursue those things. Discover those things. What is it you're passionate about? What is it you're amazing at? What is it that God has gifted you to be amazing at for his glory and for his impact? Not for your name, but for his. What is it? It doesn't have to be ministry. It doesn't have to be missions, right? There's no divide between what's sacred and what's secular. You can honor God in whatever vocation you're going to step in. Because a career is a divine commission toward a human vocation. And it doesn't matter what you and I are doing. What matters is the motivation. Are you going to step into something that you're great at so that you can make a lot of money and loft and exalt your name that you can one day get on a building here at Texas A&M University, right? Is that what drives you? Is that what seems like significance to you? Or do you want to honor God in whatever it is that he's called you to do, whatever he is he's wired you to do? I think personal satisfaction is a starting spot. Do you know those things? Second of all, obviously, monetary payment is part of it, right? It's how the world works, right? Uh, money is inherently not bad. We'll talk about money actually next week, all right? We're going to come back in here on Sunday morning. Jacob will be back, and we'll talk about money, all right? Uh, 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 in terms of the cultural arena that we live in, money is a huge thing. So how do we approach that in a way that honors God? Uh, I think part of it, is, again, as you will one day get a job, one of, that, one of the ways that you honor him is to give of that uh, toward those that are in need, toward churches as part of how we worship, all right? We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, but not just monetary payment, but I'd lastly argue, uh, is there even a divine reward in the way that we handle a job? I want you guys to notice our text again this morning. This is where we'll wrap up. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 uh, again. Paul says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Hmm. What in the world is Paul talking about there? It seems to be that on the basis of how one handles an employee job and situation, there is a reward to come in the future. Is that reward heaven? No. Uh, the way that you handle a job does not determine whether you get heaven or hell, right? Heaven and hell is an absolutely free gift. But there is a reward to come on the basis of how you handle your job. That's a crazy idea. That eternity will be impacted and you could even be rewarded in eternity possibly by an inheritance and reward that Christ will give at the day of judgment. Fascinating concept, right? Uh, Verse 24 is a little bit cryptic, a little bit difficult, but it could be possible that Paul is talking about a reward to come in the future on the basis of how you and I handle a job and a career. Wow, crazy concept. Career is a divine commission toward a human vocation that we can honor God no matter what we do. I want to challenge you guys as you look at school, you are setting yourselves up for how you see a job and how you handle a job by the way that you handle school and see it right now. I'd love to challenge you guys this afternoon to pull away, spend some time wrestling with, hey, how am I approaching, how am I viewing school? Have I created this sacred versus secular split and am I handling school in a way that really doesn't honor God at all? If others knew me in my class or professors knew me as a believer in Jesus Christ, what would they think of my faith? Am I honoring God in school or am I actually dishonoring and shaming him by the way that I handle school? You're setting up patterns for what you'll do one day in a job by the way that you're handling school now. You have an amazing opportunity to honor him greatly by the way that you walk through school. And it is a training ground for what he's wanting to do for you, not just in terms of your skill sets, but in terms of your discovery of self, of what you love, what you're passionate about. But even, I think, it's training your character. 
a place that's hidden, a place that's often under professors who sometimes are incompetent, unfair, who can't communicate even clearly, seem to be failing you, right? It at times is a crucible that is training you and shaping you. It is a character builder. So don't avoid it. Don't pull back from it. Ask the Lord, hey, what is it you're wanting to teach me in this process? It is not irrelevant to God's purposes now or in the future. It is very much a part of what God is doing now as he prepares you for something in the future that may look, who knows how it will look for whatever you are first thinking right now. Let me pray for us and then we're going to respond a little bit in worship and give you guys an opportunity to really come before the Lord and wrestle with him. Father God, I thank you immensely for your grace that you would give us what we do not earn. That for so many of us, you would gift us amazingly with such incredible diversity, such incredible intricacy. And Father, I pray that you would begin to walk us through experiences uh, this semester, the next few years, that really would shape for us and begin to crystallize for us who we are, who you've made us to be. What are the things that we're passionate about? How is it you've wired us? What is it you've gifted us in? And I pray that we would not just discover those things, but we would begin to live in light of those things. Not for our glory, but for yours. You've made us intelligent. You've gifted us. You've made us to make. And I pray that you give us incredible freedom to pursue that in a host of directions. Not just ministry, not just missions, but whatever it is and however it is that you would lead us and that you would help us to not feel guilty about that. But even more so to feel called and commissioned and sent uh, to live that in that arena as powerfully, as adequately, and as giftedly as we can. Lord, we love you and we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.